everyone and welcome back to episode 46 of Culture Bucket just four episodes from the big 50 incredible scenes uh, another top 5 coming for you today top 5 remakes and reboots and uh, before that we'll have our usual culture catch up discussion and homework discussion and uh, as always please uh, go and tell your friends to listen to us and download us and rate us on apple podcasts and all those places because we really would appreciate any support in growing the podcast so please do that this week uh, chris left us a lovely review on apple podcasts which was very nice to read yeah Thank you, so chris. we now have two written reviews on apple podcasts from <laughs> emma and chris <laughs> Thank you to the two of you, and uh, if anybody else would like to do that, or I'd appreciate it. It it would make my day. So you just oh, heard a, a voice. You're hearing a voice still, <laughs> and that voice belongs to Alex, my co-host. Hi, Alex. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. How are you, George? Good, thank you. I'm just back from my holidays. Uh, I'm now we're now in the twilight period between holiday and oh. work starting again. Uh, where my heart rate and anxiety levels start to rise. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fine. It's all broadly fine, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll get there. So, how are you? Yeah, I uh, I've uh, just come back from my first trip in nearly two years. Uh, I went to the south of Italy, which I've never been before. In my thirty-five years of being an Italian, never been more south than Rome, and I went wow. to Napoli. And it was amazing. Wow! Like it's lovely. like a That's it's nice. like a different dimension. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's fun. It's loud. The food is amazing. I ate so much pizza. I actually was sick. <laughs> pizza. 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 Uh, but they have a uh, street food pizza, and what you do, you go to a street food little place, and you order a pizza, and then they fold it in four, and you just eat it like that. Nice. That was a dream come true. Cause I love, I I would love to eat a pizza like that, but I love pizza so much. I want to cherish the moment of eating the pizza. But because right. I've eaten so much pizza, and I was hungry at one point. It's like, I don't need to cherish any pizza. There's pizza everywhere here. And so I went to this, uh, you know, street food place. And they just, like, got me this pizza, four day and four, gave it to me, and I ate it on the street. Like, a, like it was nothing. It was beautiful. Wow. Highly Sounds recommend incredible. going to Napoli. But like you, I'm my anxiety levels are going up because <laughs> school starts soon. And, um, you know. Being a teacher is fun, but also challenging. So, yeah, that it is. I already had a couple of sleepless nights, and a school hasn't even started yet. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but today we're not here to talk about work. We're here to no. talk about uh, remakes, reboots, and general pop culture stuff. So let's get right into culture catch up. This is culture catch up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Today I'm going to talk about only three things. Uh, cool. Two films and an album. Uh, also, uh, very excited because on the 17th of September, season three of Sex Education is coming out on Netflix. Oh, uh, yeah. So if you haven't watched uh, Sex Education, watch Sex Education season one and two and then enjoy season three. I really hope it's going to be good because... Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, because the first two seasons are amazing, but the the second season does end in a little bit of a proper. So hopefully it's gonna be good. I'm very very yeah. very excited. Um, I watch a film called Shiva Baby. The reason I watch this film is because I was um watching this Instagram um movie page, which we follow, yeah. and yeah. uh they showed this clip of this film Shiva Baby and it looked really interesting but also it was like is this a horror film and convinced yeah so I went to check and it's not a horror film it's actually considered a comedy so that's why I watched it I don't really know many people in it It's, it's directed by Emma Selingman uh, and uh, the only actors that I know are Fred Melamed. Do you know him? Fred Melamed, no. Yeah. No. Well, if you see his face, you'll know him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know That's that guy. the only and one. and Molly Gordon, which um she's got a really familiar face, but she she was only on what I've seen in Booksmart. Um. But um, that those are the only people, two people I know, and like I said, I watched it mainly because the the clip that I watched on Instagram was really interesting, and the film is basically um, it's a Jewish uh, funeral service, uh, shiva, yeah, and uh, the main character Danielle, played by Rachel Senot, is there with her parents. Uh, she's a college student. And uh, she has, and at this shiva, uh, she runs into her sugar daddy. <laughs> and right. it's, it's a really interesting film. Uh, it's just set in this shiva. Nobody goes away. Everybody's in the same room. And um, it's classified as a comedy, but yeah. it, it, it is really... Um, nerve-wracking <laughs> uh it's very right. jewish and everybody's yeah. uh, uh, is very interested in everybody else's life and um it, it's kind of feels like a a horror masqueraded in a comedy uh right. it's so nerve-wracking and it's only an hour and 17 minutes and i had palpitations because it's so intense and wow. um yeah, and it, 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 the comedy bits are comedic because they're so absurd. They're just ridiculous. Yeah. 
and um, the acting it in it is really excellent because there there's a massive power shift from the beginning to the end between the characters, and it's really interesting to see how the more the characters get to know each other, the more the power dynamic shifts and things become different. Um, and uh, it's cringy, funny, nerve-wracking. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I would uh, recommend to watch it, Shiva Baby. is a really fascinating cool. film that I've seen. Um, maybe not enjoyable. I don't think it's like enjoyable to watch, but it's an interesting think to see how an overbearing family can be and maybe in an overbearing community uh and uh how outsiders are treated from this community uh it's uh, it's interesting and then i watched uh, a film which is kind of like a film documentary called uh, summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised Yeah. is um Quest Loves the drama from the roots uh director debut and it's a documentary uh, about the Harlem Cultural Festival um that was set I- that was on in 1969 and it was a kind of a, a festival to celebrate African American music and culture and to kind of like promote uh black pride and unity Um nice. this uh film <laughs> this um the festival was uh done over the course of six weeks in the summer of 1969 mm. and mm-hmm. it in just in Harlem and the footage was never seen until yeah was it was randomly found 50 years later which is amazing, amazing. It features amazing uh, artists. Uh, there's uh, Stevie Wonder when he's a baby, <laughs> which is really cute. Uh, Nina Simone uh, and then B.B. King and many more that I didn't know, but I, you know, it was mesmerizing. Um, it's a really beautiful film because you can see that is made by a, a music lover Because when mm. there are the performances, the performance is full. It doesn't show like a little bit of a performance. They show this song and you it's just two hours of an homage to this beautiful festival. And um, it's it's great. And there's um, uh, the, fe- the it was like 40 hours of footage. And he man yeah. and they managed to cut it down to two hours. Like what? And wasn't it? Wasn't it filmed with the intention of it being shown theatrically or something? So the footage is actually yeah. really high quality, yeah. and it just the, somehow never. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's high quality footage. High quality footage. The the sound is amazing. It's really really beautiful and really well made. And there's um. There are accounts of people that actually went there. Uh, there's Re- uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson in it, uh, speaking about uh, the moment that... Because um, it was after uh, Martha Luther King uh, was uh, killed. And so there, there's, this, um, there's this performance of um, uh, Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson. So Mahalia Jackson is this, like, incredible soul singer and uh she uh, had to sing this song 
Precious Lord, which was Martin, Martin Luther King's favorite song. And uh, she was a great, like one of the best at the time. And she was so overwhelmed. She asked uh, like another incredible singer to sing it for her. And that moment, I, I, I was in tears. It was so beautiful. It's such, I had goosebumps. I was in tears. It was just a beautiful, emotional moment. And uh, it was incredible. Um, it's isn't isn't Mavis Staples on the latest Run the Jewels album? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna just check. I'm sure she is. I'm sure she sings on She's... a track near the end. She's uh, got an amazing yeah, yeah. yeah pulling the pin at the end of that. She's great on that song. Yeah. Um, She's got an amazing voice. Mavis Staple has got an incredible voice and she was a massive fan of Mahalia Jackson and she was in awe of the fact that she allowed her to sing. But then Mahalia Jackson comes forward and they start singing together and the power that those two women had, I was was in shooketh. (laughs) It was beautiful. (laughs) And being there must have been an incredible experience and you can see the crowd and you can see how important that festival was uh, to bring the community together and how it just disappeared like that could have been like that's a piece of history that people yeah, yeah, yeah. just put in a basement and you can in the importance of that and then Nina Simone sings Young, Gifted and Black and it's beautiful. Uh, it's it's just a really powerful and incredibly done film. And uh, it's great. It's really, really Does great. Does it explore why the footage was sort of dumped no. like that? No, no, no. It's a constant thing of saying how uh, uh, black history gets constantly deleted in American history. Mm. So black history does not exist. Uh, and this yeah. is a uh, this is part because Woodstock everybody knows about Woodstocks Woodstocks <laughs> everybody knows about Woodstock you know who's played at Woodstock but in, and this was the same year and this you know the array of like artists that played in it are incredible and uh, the turnout the the significance of it uh, it's just an amazing thing and it's just you know how. Black history doesn't count as much as white history in the United States or in, you know. Yeah, in a lot of places. In a lot of places. Um, and it's, it it's, sounds, I, I want to watch this. I, it, mm. I've heard about it, but not got around to watching it yet. It sounds amazing. Oh, it's really, really beautiful. And uh, <laughs> one thing is um, because the police was not really trusted, uh, who was doing the security in the festival were the uh, members of the Black Panther uh, movement. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's 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 beautiful. It shows the you know how also this festival changed the perception of like uh, certain people's taste in uh, music. So one of the people that went uh, really liked uh, the kind of uh, uh, clean uh, suit wearing group. And then after they saw Sly and the Family Stone, which had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which had, you know, a female trumpeter. Uh, He was super cool. They had a white drummer, like, you know, really different from what kind of um, 
they were used to, they kind of like went more towards there. So it's kind of also a musical revolution for a lot of kids at that time in, in the Harlem community. Um, and yeah, and it shows that, Har- you know, you think about Harlem and you think about crime, drugs, uh, and but this is part of Harlem, you know, and they said it was about food, music, uh, community. And so it's it's a very drastic kind of change of like perception of a place um mm. and i loved it i loved every minute of it um it's two hours but it's beautiful it's really really beautiful and then uh i've spoke about uh, uh remember when i first listened to and i'm gonna talk about album uh you know when i first listened to jade bird do you remember oh yeah yeah, so she just released an album the 13th of August, like only a couple of weeks ago. Um, she uh, released her new album, which mm-hmm. um, is called uh, Different Kinds of Light. And uh, she she's now living in uh, the US. Uh, she's in, uh, I think she's in Tennessee. Yeah, I think uh, she, you know, Nashville. No, Tennessee, Nashville is in Tennessee, isn't it? Um, no. it sure is. <laughs> Are you sure? I think so. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nashville, yeah, yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, if it sounds yeah, yeah. right, it means it's right. So this album was uh, written uh, in Nashville and kind of, you can uh, kind of feel that. Although she's kind of country anyway, I feel like she's gone a little bit more, um, more country. She's, uh, she's, she's singing in a different way and she's, you know she's a great singer and um it's a really eclectic album i really enjoyed it i i've listened to it all week and it just gave me a good v- summary road trippy vibe to it and um you know i'm very eclectic when it comes to my music listening and i think mm-hmm. it's really good it's eclectic musically but i think probably in in the theme is kind of like it's kind of has the same theme throughout which is kind of like love and love interest and uh being uh not maybe being reciprocated being alone but i think is great it's a really good second album she did and i really really enjoyed it and i love her voice um, she she's got a, an incredible range that she can change any song she sings she, her her voice kind of changes and I I really really enjoy it. I might have enjoyed it more than the first album actually. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um, Jade Bird. And that's it. Sounds I've been uh, I've been like down south doing other things and also what I watched a film that I would like to talk to you, but we're going to do a special on it because we decided to do oh, a special yeah. on it. So we both watched a film called Pig. Pug. <laughs> we did, so keep your eyes peeled for some um, discussion of Pig. Yeah, so I watched another say... film. Hmm? No, go on, sorry. Yeah, so we, I watched Pig as well, but we're going to talk about it, unfortunately. You know, no, fortunately and unfortunately, because I really want to talk to you about it and I would like yeah. to talk about it, you about it now, but I think it'd be interesting to know what we both feel about Peg. Yes, definitely. What have you been doing? 
Well, I've got uh, I've watched a fair few things, but not many worth talking about. So I'm going to talk about three films and a couple of albums, but also between your section and my section, shall we talk about brief initial first impressions of uh, the thing we've both just been listening to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> brief first impressions of new release by Kanye. Who wants to be called Ye now? Just Ye. Has he yeah, changed his name? Yeah, apparently he just wants to be Ye. So. He's filed to change his name, but he does a lot of things. <laughs> so, I don't know. So. Uh, yeah, new album by Kanye West, Donda. Donda, with uh, cover art of a black square. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been the sort of saga of the summer... Uh, yeah. has been the the story of this album as he it was initially announced it was going to come out in like late July mm. and it's actually finally just been released after three listening parties in stadiums um, mm. about two hours ago on the 29th of August so it's taken about eight weeks for this album to come it's about eight weeks late which even for Kanye is pretty tardy yeah um, it is so we've both we've not even had a chance to listen to the full album. No, because it's one hour and forty-eight minutes. <laughs> it's twenty-seven songs long. It's yeah. an hour and forty-eight minutes. There's a song on it called Jail Part Two, which is grayed out on Spotify. It can't be listened to. Um so it's a complex and interesting beast. Um what hmm. uh so far. I'm happy to have a new uh, as cuz he released Life of Pablo in 2016. Mhm. And then a couple of years later he did his seven album long albums which as far as I'm concerned really are EPs. He released Yay mm. and Kids See Ghosts which collectively if you put them together maybe you could have produced an album out of that but instead you've got these two kind of like 25 minute long things. Yeah. Then the year great. after that he put out Jesus is King. What? <laughs> Which were great. Those were both great. Um, I liked Kids See Ghosts. I wasn't super keen on Yay. Yeah. Okay. But I liked Kids See Ghosts. Uh, then the year after that, he put out Jesus is King, mm-hmm. which again is under half an hour long and also very much a worship album. Yeah. Uh, a Christian hip-hop worship album, yeah. which doesn't, to me, really fit the bill as a Kanye West album. No. This at least is another Kanye West album. It's similar to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy or or Life of Pablo. It's long Mm -hmm. and has an insane amount of production in it. So that's interesting. I've not, I can't, after only listening to it to like three quarters of it once, give any real serious critical thoughts about whether I like it or not. But um, the parts of what, parts of, parts of it sound like, proper Kanye West music that I'd expect and uh, I'm interested to get more into it. What's your initial sort of feel on it? Uh, I feel similar. Yeah. It seems to have gone back to some sort of his um, self. He did yeah. these listening parties and the first one people reacted to it because I was kind of following on Reddit what people were saying and yeah. after his first listening party people were like Ah, uh, this is a bit. This isn't great. And then after the second listening party, people were like, "This is a ten out of ten. 
perfect album. And then after the third listening party, which was, did you see much about that? Well, Marilyn Manson was in it. And yeah, Mar- yeah, which, and, and I, another uh, guy that is problematic. The and baby. saying that maybe, maybe is because he doesn't believe in cancer culture. But if these two guys are actually what they are, then you know, you're being a bit of a, and that that kind of left a bit of taste in my mouth. Yeah, and that's partly why my and people generally because like there's a song on it called Jail that has a Jay Z feature on it, and Jay Z's not been on a Kanye song for a while. They've yeah. had a big public falling out, and like Jay Z's rapping about him getting rid of the red hat and rapping about the throne returning and all these things, and that's kind of yeah. positive, and people liked that a lot. Then in this third listening party, that song, the Jay-Z sample was, the Jay-Z verse was gone and replaced with a verse by Da Baby. Ah. And people were like, ah, well, that, we, don't, uh, we don't like this. And some people, I saw people saying the Baby's verse was actually really good and Jay-Z's verse isn't great, but it's more about what it represents than mm. the music I itself. I don't know what Da Baby has done. Has it... He's pretty bad. Like he did a he he did a concert. He was at a festival um early in the summer where he made some like really I'm not gonna repeat anything that he said, but he made some really horrific homophobic remarks that are not okay. Ah, <gasps> oh, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then I he completely got ta- raised him from my head. Oh, that's yeah, the guy. and then he's yeah. he's sort of got taken off a bunch of other festivals. He re- mm. he did an apology that was really half asked and then he mm. t- like deleted the apology because i think he thought his career was gonna just come straight so not great i wasn't happy to hear that he'd suddenly been there and certainly not happy that he'd replaced jay-z on the album mm. and then of course marilyn manson is a horrible monster of a human yeah. isn't even in the world of kanye west there's no like kanye exactly have, had nobody was going is he gonna nobody was thinking like oh is he gonna be brave enough to include manson in his out no like he could have he didn't need to do it no anyway and that's the thing. It's a bit like what are you trying to what are you trying to say? What is that all about? Like you're having two problematic people, problematic but also horrible people, and yeah. what are you trying to say that oh they're not you know, like <laughs> at the end of the day, there's a fine line between cancel culture and people that are actually terrible people, isn't there? Yeah. In the sense of like people get cancelled for no reason, but some people are actually doing terrible things, but they the do, people doing terrible things are not being cancelled. They should go to prison or they should at least be, you know, what the victims of Yeah, so it's strange because, this- like, Marilyn Manson has done things that deserve him to go to prison. Yeah. The baby has said things that don't wouldn't necessarily get you put in prison, but make yeah. him a bad person who's exactly. a voice I'm uninterested in hearing. What's so- ultimately happened is... The version of the album that has come out today is closer to the second listening party, the Jay-Z verses on this album. Yeah. The reason that there's a part two to that Jail song that's greyed out is apparently the baby's manager wouldn't clear him being on the song or something, ah, which is why that it, text it's delayed. Message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was posting that on Instagram. Um So I think that's why there's this Jail part two that's, that's greyed out. I think this is the alternate version of Jail that has the the baby verse on it. So I'm fine with it not being available to listen to. Um and like it comes back to the whole thing of like during the during the last presidential election he was making all these comments about um women's bodies and just yeah. things he has no kind of place talking about. Yeah. And the man is a prob- he's a, he is also a problematic person. Yeah. But equally he's probably he's not done anything that we're aware of that that should get him put in prison. Yeah. 
so shit. He's. I'm not gonna. I don't know. I I enjoy his music. I really like Kanye West's mm. music. I don't think I like him very much as a person, but also, it's a nuanced situation where the, he clearly has quite severe mental health um difficulties that he that he struggles with. Um, yeah. In terms no, of being quite manic absolutely. and at times you know he'll he'll come back with a jay-z feature that seems like oh he's kind of turning the corner and going back towards the because back in the day he was one of the first people in hip-hop who sort of openly spoke about being accepting of um homosexuality and, and allowing that into hip-hop or you know saying that should be accepted in hip-hop and it opened the door a bit for people um like frank ocean maybe other people to be kind of openly gay and now of course he seems to be supporting somebody who is homophobic and it just it's just he and it's because he has all these competing ideas of I think he probably isn't homophobic but equally he has this big thing about not wanting to be cancelled and not wanting people to be cancelled and he doesn't seem to look at the nuance of a situation before he barges in and shoves people all over his albums and and does all these other things and he's a yeah. he's a he's kind of a wild difficult person but that's kind of why he's such a fascinating figure to be a sort of fan of. I don't know. I just I just feel like when you become so self-righteous, um, that's why like I listen to it. It's like, yeah, it's fine. But if you're that self-righteous uh, in, in, the, in like if you're if you know that you're good, like in the, you know, the, the first few Kanye albums and you're you're dick about it. Well, you're good. You're amazing. Kanye. you're one in a like you're one of a kind yeah. artist. But now you're being self-righteous because you found God and you're trying to preach to people how women should be and how um, homosexuality maybe is not the right thing or then you're just a dick. And I don't know if yeah. I've got time to even enjoy your album. And that's the, and that's the thing. Like if you were if he. I don't know. I don't know. I just um, I, uh, I feel a bit weird about these things because yeah there's already mean. enough but hate he... and people judging people without you giving uh without you giving ammunition to these kind of people yeah like <laughs> yeah um right so let's move on i'm sure there'll be maybe slightly more to say about donda at some point in the future but for now it's it was also very funny to see people on the reddit panicking and listening to it because they're scared he's just going to take it down at some point because he's such a kind of unpredictable um person okay so i've watched uh, a handful of films and there's a couple of albums i've listened to properly that i want to talk about so i'm going to start with zola i watched a film called zola or stylized as at zola uh it's a 2020 american black comedy film based on a twitter thread I think it's one of the first movies ever based on tweets, which is why I wanted to see it, because I was fascinated by the idea. So, um, yeah, Isaiah Zola King um, did a huge Twitter thread a few years ago detailing this kind of wild weekend she had in Florida. And uh, it produced a Rolling Stone article called Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted. And they uh, produced a film. It stars Taylor Page as Zola, uh, Riley Keough um, as, uh, what's Riley Keough's character called? Stephanie, and it also features uh, Nicholas Braun, Ariel Stachel, Coleman Domingo, and a few other actors, directed by uh, Janik Zabravo, who I'm not sure if I've seen any of their other films. 
not seen any of her other films. But, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to watch this movie because I'd read it was based on tweets and that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's the story of this um, girl, Zola, who works in a... She works in sort of a diner in America. She meets this girl, Stephanie. They get talking and um, kind of befriend each other over the fact that they have sugar daddies and that they <laughs> are strippers. Oh, sugar daddies. <laughs> oh, God, I yeah. watch a film with a sugar daddy. You watch a film with a sugar um, daddy. Yeah, exactly. And um, they go on this road trip down to... She, Stephanie invites Zola on this road trip down to Florida with her boyfriend and who she tells Zola is her roommate but turns out to actually be maybe her pimp. And uh, they go stripping <laughs> and then it all sort of falls apart and turns into this um, almost Tarantino-esque crime uh, saga that kind of is based on reality these actual tweets but there's the the real zola has admitted that some of the tweets were embellished a little bit so it's it's difficult to know what the true story is but that mm. kind of makes it all the more interesting in my opinion and um it's a wild film it's it's directed incredibly well by Janik Zabravo. she has like this amazing um vision she's able to make it feel um timeless and of of the specific time it's set at the same time, which is incredible. It's filmed. Um, I don't know if it's filmed on film stock, but it has the it has the grainy feel of like a nineteen seventies mm. movie. But each time, uh, each time a character says something that is directly quoting from one of the real tweets, um, there is a little tweet noise heard, ah, um, and it's amazing. blended really well into the soundtrack of the movie. Because I mean, there's hundreds of tweets, so it's kind of every minute or so you're mm. hearing this this noise, but it really works in the film. Um, the music of the movie is done by uh, Micah Levi, who I believe, yep, is the uh, composer of Under the Skin, which oh, wow. um, I've talked about before, That's how much I love amazing. that score, and uh, they've knocked it out of the park again for Zola. It couldn't be more different from Under the Skin, but it completely works for this film. It makes it feel like a film, like the, the score feeling like a film of the internet age and incorporating these tweet noises while at the same time the film itself looking like a timeless kind of 70s classic creates this just incredible, unique experience that I've never wow. uh, seen before in a movie. Um, it's an A24 movie, actually, which is interesting because nice. uh, they're a great distributor. And... Um, yeah, it's a really good film. I really enjoyed it. I don't want to spoil too much more of the plot. They go down to Florida and things occur, um, and it's just got this. It's got this great kind of narration by Zola. Taylor Page is brilliant as Zola. Riley Keough, who I've enjoyed for a long time, is really good. Nicholas Braun, who plays um, a very different character in Succession on HBO, is really really funny as the boyfriend of um, the, the Stephanie character, and. Uh, yeah, it's worth your time, and it's only 90 minutes long, so check it out if you can. Great. Yeah, so that's Zola. Uh, next up, I watched the... Um, have you ever seen the TV show People Just Do Nothing? No. No. It's no. a fake documentary sitcom, a bit like The Office. Okay. Yeah, but it's about a group of people in Brentford in London who run a pirate radio station. Oh, that plays garage music. Uh, I think you'd enjoy <laughs> the series. Um, and the kind of the joke the whole time is that they're idiots and they're stupid, and um, they think that they're kind of these incredible criminals doing this secret pirate radio station. But actually, the the their their aerial only transmits to about two square miles, so it's barely 
Um, like Amazing. there's a there's a point in one of the episodes in the series where, um, they get one of them gets arrested. The one whose flat they use to house the radio station gets arrested, and all the equipment gets taken off him. But they don't send him to prison because the judge says that their reach was so small it was just like kids playing around anything <laughs> else so it's a really funny series i'd never watched it before it ran i think it was mainly on when we lived in japan maybe so i kind of missed all of it but they've just done a film called people just do nothing big in japan what yeah so i wanted to see the oh, film oh how weird i saw something about it yesterday oh really yeah, you must have been uh, reading like my mind. Interesting. How crazy. Yeah. So over the last couple of weeks, I've watched all five series of the TV show, and then I went to see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I've watched a lot of people just do nothing recently, but I'm glad I did because it's really good, and the film uh, is actually brilliant. The, the concept of the movie is that um, it's a couple of years after the radio station has ended. They've all sort of the the various people involved in it have drifted apart. But a game show in Japan starts using one of their songs, or pretty much their only song, um, <laughs> as a sort of like catchphrase in the show. And it's meant to be one of the most popular game shows in Japan. So they end up getting really big in Japan and a record company in Japan flies them out to Japan to um, kind of capitalise on this sudden, unexpected like viral success. And the, the humour in the movie is all about these kind of people that have never left Brentford in London suddenly finding themselves in the middle of Tokyo and uh, trying to navigate the world of the music industry in Tokyo and yeah I I was inter- obviously I was interested to see it because I've lived in Japan yeah. um and uh, I think that it is pretty respectful for considering it's a British comedy about morons it's pretty respectful of Japanese culture. Okay. Um, there's one scene early on where they go for ramen and the main two of them are like, no, I don't like this at all. And you can see the other one. There's a guy in the background who's always really quiet, is really enjoying it. And then they go, no, we need to go find somewhere else. And they see a McDonald's in the distance and are like, yes. And uh, the other guy's like, we're not seriously going to McDonald's, uh, are we, when we're in the middle of all this incredible culture? So they have kind of, they definitely make sure to show that there are people capable of ex- appreciating Japanese culture. And they try to be polite. There's a very funny running joke where everywhere they go, even if it isn't to like somebody's office, they take their shoes off because they think that that's what they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and there's a lie. One of them says early on that um, uh, Japan has a really serious drugs problem. It's impossible to get any drugs in Japan. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, it was actually really funny. I actually really, really enjoyed it. It does a whole load of stuff around, like... Because, um, actually, garage music and, like, um, uh, reggae that they talk about and stuff like that absolutely has a scene in Japan, yeah, I think. Yeah, massive. massive. Uh, but the unfortunate thing for them is that they've been um, they've been in touch with or they've been contacted by and brought out by, uh, like, a J-pop label. Okay. So they tried to turn them into, like, a boy band um, <laughs> called Bang Boys. <laughs> Bang boys, and one of them points out it sounds like a paedophile ring. It's funny stuff. It's a good film. Um, cool. So, yeah, I just, if you've never seen the sitcom, I'd recommend it. It's quite funny. It's very indebted to The Office. The main character really seems at times a lot like Ricky Gervais's character okay. in The Office. Um, but it's it's very, very funny, and it, also, it is its own thing as well. And then the movie, you know, often when they take a film, 
a TV show and turn it into a film, it can be terrible. But I yeah. think they kind of found they found the right story for the film and they put, you know, love and effort into it and mm. it, it's a good movie. It's really funny. So I'd recommend it. People Just Do Nothing, big in Japan, is a good awesome. movie, man. So give it a go. Um, right, last film I'm going to talk about. I watched, uh, I watched this only a day or so ago and I've been excited about this all, all year. I watched the new 2021 film, Candyman. 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 Can you say his name five times in the movie? No, I'm not going to say. Because <laughs> I, I was the other day, I couldn't fall asleep because the word Babadook kept coming to my head. So you was, haven't even seen it. I haven't even seen it. <laughs> that's that's how suscept, 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 susceptible. 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 My brain yeah. is. Like I, I saw your review on Instagram. And then I was like, Babadook. And it's like a terrifying word. <laughs> but which one is the one where you have to say Candy? Is it Candyman or Babadook? Do you have to say it? Or you have to say both names? No, Babadook's a different thing. It's got okay. nothing to do with saying his name. But Candyman, the... You have the, to say it three times. The legend is if you say it five times in the five. mirror, he will come and kill you. Would you do that on purpose? Oh, it's like a dare, isn't it? Like, I dare you to do it. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, have you tried it? Um, no, not in the mirror. That would be uh, <laughs> no. There's an interesting because, <laughs> um, so the original Candyman came out in 1992, hmm. and it is a film that is often misidentified as a slasher film, but is actually more of a ghost story. Uh, like or even a gothic romance. It stars the original oh. stars Virginia Madsen as a character called Helen, who is um doing a PhD on sort of urban legends and community created stories, sort of thing. And she goes into this uh this housing project called Cabrini Green in Chicago, and starts investigating the story of the Candyman. And she finds out it's this tale from the eighteen nineties. This man who was um fell in love with a noble. He's a black man. He fell in love with a, a white woman, the daughter of a nobleman. Uh, chased through Chicago and then killed it very publicly, covered in mm. honey so bees would attack him. He had his hand cut off and a hook shoved in the stump and all Oof. sorts of gruesome stuff. And he turns into the ghost of Candyman, uh, who then will terrorise people if you say his name five times in the film. Uh, five times in the mirror, sorry. And it ends up being this kind of romance where he sees Helen as being the kind of... Uh, re-embodiment of the woman he was in love with back in the day and it kind of it's Aww. it's the, the original Candyman is a beautiful film in a lot of ways it's a, it's an amazing movie it's underrated underappreciated too often thought of as just a kind of knockoff slasher movie where it's, it's a lot more than that the new movie uh Candyman the 2021 film which is just called Candyman uh is set in sort of modern times it's set in like 2019 I think it uh, is a sequel to the original film. It ignores the two kind of bad sequels they made to that original movie and kind of does it itself as just like a follow-on to that original 1992 movie. It stars Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who you will know Alex is playing uh, Dr. Manhattan in the recent Watchmen HBO series. Ooh, I like him. Oh, he's very, very good. Um, and a few other actors, Turner Paris, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, Coleman Domingo, Vanessa Williams, Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen. Uh, or Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen are barely in it, but um, it's got a few other actors in it. It was uh, directed by Nia DaCosta, who uh, is an excellent director, I think, based on what I've seen here, and it was written by her, uh, along with Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld, and it was produced by Jordan Peele, so it had quite a lot of um, 
attention given mm. to it due to his involvement because he's obviously sort of the um the go-to guy for horror at the moment particularly socially relevant horror particularly black horror um thank you jordan black community absolutely um and they've kind of updated it. I don't want to give too much away about what it's about, but it very much is um, a follow-on from that original film. The character Yaya Abdul-Mateen, second plays in the movie, is um, has a story and a history that intertwines uh, with that original movie. But they've also updated the story of Candyman really well to be about um, the, the cyclical nature of black uh, violence uh, of black people being murdered and killed and Candyman in this movie is no longer just I think it's called Daniel Robineau the original person who the mo- the original film talks about but this movie looks at other other black people in the Cabrini area who have been killed and murdered by white people throughout the years and Candyman is actually the embodiment of all of those people there's a bit where they say Candyman isn't one just one bee he's the whole hive and they kind of make it a very up-to-date modern version of the story in my opinion i've seen this movie's had crazy reviews it's had great reviews from some places really middling reviews from some places some places have really hated it felt that it completely missed the mark on what it was trying to do with this social commentary if that's how people feel that's how they feel i thought that it did an amazing job of um updating the story and in fact the reason why i don't think it's a perfect film is there's a handful of points where it gives in to the into the kind of need for it to feel like a slasher movie. There's one scene mm. particularly set in a high school, um, and it's not a movie about high school students. It doesn't have high school students in it. You could take this scene out of the film entirely and it wouldn't be missed, but it's got this one scene in a high school bathroom that pretty much seems to exist to be a slasher scene. And that's kind of the one bit of the movie that it lost me in. I, I mm. doesn't need to be there. It, they should stick to their guns and make the make it a ghost story not it doesn't mm. have to be violent and gory it doesn't have to have all these kills in it it's about more than that and um yeah other than that one scene for me it really worked i think the main the lead actor in it is given a really difficult job the mm. journey his character goes on is wild and he does it really really well mm. um there's one other actor in it uh coleman domingo who is actually was in zola in fact, he's great in Zola and he's great in this movie. He's a guy, he's 51. I don't know if I've ever seen him in much else, but he's brilliant in these two films. Um, he plays a character who kind of tells um, Yard of Mateen's character about the Candyman legend and he kind of um, kind of sets him on the journey. He's really, really good in that role. Mm. So yeah, the, Candy, the new Candyman movie is really good. They could have absolutely fudged it and done a terrible job, but I think they've um I think they've killed it. I think Nia DaCosta is somebody to watch in the future. So um yeah. Are you gonna watch it? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um but Is yeah, it scary? I it. Like would I would I would I could I watch it? Because you know my the, the thing with the original Candyman and with the, so there's a story there's a story about the original Candyman where when I was about how old would I have been? I'd have probably been six or seven. I went to stay with my cousin. He only lived down the road. It wasn't like a holiday or anything, but I was at my cousin's house and I stayed over. And my cousin was a couple of years older than me. And well, he was like two years older than me biologically and about five years older than me, sort of in (laughs) in his level of maturity. So he wanted to watch Candyman because it was on TV. And I was too scared. Like I love horror movies now, but up until the age of about 16, I was terrified of them. I didn't watch Mm. them at all. 
um like i had to i had to leave men in black when i was a kid because I, I found it too scary like i was really really like really okay. n- not good at taking horror films so i was like absolutely not i'm not watching Candyman. so i stayed in bed and he went into the living room with his mum and watched Candyman, um with the volume fairly loud and i actually couldn't get to sleep and heard the entire film without any of the visuals and I was trauma was te- so terrified, completely traumatized, and in my head, Candyman was a film that was an hour and a half of people screaming and the sound of flesh being torn, and I I was always had this thing about not being able to like even once I started watching horror films, Candyman was still like this kind of white whale. Mm. Then when I finally watched it, I was like, oh, it's actually kind of quite a thoughtful sort of ghost story. It's not. <laughs> what I thought it was at all. So I don't think it's as scary as it seems and as you expect it to be. Okay. And I think the, the story of it is so strong that it's worth it and it's entertaining and it's got a great atmosphere to it. Mm. And it's, I think it's a really interesting story. That, that, you know, these stories are not told very often in horror films that are kind of a bit kind of socially relevant, maybe. Mm. So I think, you should, I think you should try it. I yeah. think that it is a bit scary, but I don't think it's as terrifying as maybe you'd expect it to be. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I've got a little side yeah. note, by the way. Oh, like, yeah. remember when we started recording and we were, like, trying to figure out, you know, we kind of talking about not being enough female directors. Like, today, oh, yeah. we spoke about three different films, one of mine and two of yours, and all, like, you know, three female directors. Yeah, yeah, different that's a really films. good point. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm glad that times and are changing and we are, you know, getting more female directors. Yeah, because in fact, Janet Zabravo and um, Nida Costa are, they have real voices. Like, they, you can, they have, they really put their mark on both the films. Um, mm. I mean, more so than Jack Clough did with the People Just Do Nothing movie. Not that he probably had much of an opportunity to do much um with that one but yeah um Janik Sabrevo and Nia da Costa are both great directors as well yeah. so and you yeah, know um, I mean and uh, I think uh you know in Shiva Baby making a um making a comedy feel a bit like a horror film and I think she would do great things and it's only her first film uh Emma Sellingman so she, I think she's going to do great, great things. So three amazing female directors. Woohoo! Nice. Doing it. Who runs the world? <laughs> female directors. Girls. Sorry. Female directors. <laughs> um, there's a cool, uh, there's actually, there's a, there's a t-shirt website called Girls on Tops who make t-shirts with the names of um, women in film on them. Lovely. Yeah, they're very cool. And they've done a Nia Costa top where it says Nia Costa and uh, there's sort of a beehive pattern behind her uh, to go coincide with the new Candyman film. So go and check them out. If See, like. people have some amazing ideas. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of albums before we move on, uh, but not, in, not, not for a long time, but just to go over them a bit. I've been listening to the new album by The Killers. Yeah. Pressure Machine. Mr. Brightside. Oh, we're very far from that. Um, <laughs> they So I talked a lot last year about their album that came out last year, Imploding the Mirage, which I adored. 
because um, it really brought in this Dust Bowl feel, this sort of Prince Springsteen feel, um, and felt like kind of new life for the Killers, and I was really enjoying it and just loved that album. And um, they've kind of gone even further down that road with this new album, which is a real concept album. Um, I think it's been quite divisive in their fan base, but it's basically a concept album about a town in Utah called Neathy, which is where Brandon Flowers, the singer from The Killers, grew up, and even to the point where I think they sent people into this town to interview the locals about what it's like to live in this town. And it's a, it's this sort of tiny, kind of um, really out-of-the-way place in Utah that is, mm. um, it, you know, very, very... Life there seems quite... Um, remote Fun. let's say so it um yeah they sent people out to this town to interview the locals about life there and they picked various sound bites and every song on the album opens with uh, a little clip of a local person from Nephi talking about the town oh. um like there's a song called runaway horses which actually is the only song with a feature on the album and the feature is phoebe bridges which was exciting because i nice. do enjoy her Mm-hmm. And that song opens with um old lady uh, telling a story about a time uh, a horse of hers um, had an accident and had to be put down, which is obviously very sad. Um, and the whole album's got this quite sad tone uh, to it. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's so far removed from the stadium rock that they usually do. Mm. Um, and it's taken me a couple of tire a couple of listens to get into it, but I'm really 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 enjoying it um it's fascinating it's really really different it's uh, it's mm. going even more down into like if the if the last album could be compared to standard bruce springsteen this album is like almost their version of the brasca like the really stripped back um rock americana kind of mm. sound and um it's got a lot of really good songs on it some really beautiful turns of phrase from brandon flowers he's sort of they're really, really reining in that kind of need to always have a big stadium ready hook or chorus on their on their music and they've kind of focused instead on keeping to a concept and keeping it all uh, mm. to a theme. And uh, it's beautiful and I would recommend mm. people listen to it. So that is the new Killers album, Pressure Machine. I'd recommend, uh, I'd really, mm. really, you know, even if you don't like the Killers, listen to it, give it a go. It's so different and, and interesting. Um. The other album I want to talk about, which I haven't listened to as much, I can't talk about it in as much detail, but I kind of want to briefly mention it because I think it's interesting and people should listen to it, is the new album from American singer-songwriter Halsey. Oh. Have you listened to Halsey much? She just had a baby. She did just have a baby. Um, She is 26. I have never listened to her. Like, I know, it's really weird. I know who she is. I know who she's got beef with. I know her <laughs> beliefs. I know she, who she's gone out with. I, but I have no idea what her music is like. Yeah, I, well, I don't know loads about her, but from what I've seen, she definitely is somebody who has opinions and yeah. voices them, right? Yeah, like, she's a strong yeah, it's not like I've gone look for Halsey, but it just seems like she's po- she pops up. Yeah. So and she had she had this massive album uh, a year a couple of years ago called what was it called Manic oh just last year actually mm. that had some really big hits on it and I I listened to that album a couple of times and uh, liked it it's good her new album is called um, and she generally works in pop electro pop R and B alternative pop uh, but her new album is called If I Can't Have Love I Want Power. And the cover art is her, and a photograph of her sat in a throne, holding mm-hmm. her baby her with baby, uh, yeah. one of, yep, 
with one of her um, breasts exposed uh, as a sort of, I think, commentary on breastfeeding and mm -hmm. that being acceptable publicly and all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, she's described it as a concept album about the joys and horrors of pregnancy and childbirth. And interestingly, it was produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross of Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. Um, so, so yes, it is uh, an alternative rock album. In the Wikipedia describes it as a grunge pop album. It's a total sort of change in sound for Halsey. Um, mm. It's got a really great um, track titles like Girl is a Gun, I Am Not a Woman, I'm a God. Um, Lilith, easier than lying. It's just uh, in. It, I've only listened to it a few times. I can't go too deep into talking about it, but it's. I like it. I'm enjoying it, and um, I think people should give it a go and check it out. So that's if I can't have hmm. love, I want power, which is also just a, an amazing title for an album. And um, and yeah. I appreciate that she didn't really she didn't put out any singles at all. She just let the album come out and speak for itself, which is a quite hmm. a probably tough to kind of in fact probably all of this project i bet she had pushback from her record label on it like getting trent Reznor and atkus ross in to produce it going into a rock direction um not putting out singles i don't know for certain but i would guess that some of those things she probably had pushback on so i'm really glad that she stuck to her guns and um mm. and did it because it's got some really good hooks and choruses and rock and yeah it's a it's a good album so yeah check it out so that is uh that's my culture catch-up Awesome. Awesome indeed. Awesome sasa. Time to talk about homework. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now. So, uh, our last uh, non-special episode, we talked about summer films. Mm -hmm. And one of your uh, favourite summer films, uh, which I had not seen, uh, is 1994, The River Wild. Yes. And uh, starring Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, uh, David Strathairn. How do you say Strathairn. Strathairn, I believe. Strathairn. You, you, you did say that he was in Nomad Land. Yes, he you? is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I completely forgotten <laughs> that he was in Nomadland, and I was like, oh, But then you had said, uh, you had said, and then uh, Joseph Mazzello from um, Jurassic Park, which pretty much looks exactly the same. Yeah, like, he must have filmed he, them was, back to back, I reckon. <laughs> back to back, um, and uh, John C. Riley and a cameo from Benjamin Bratt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a not a big role, but a. He's pretty not he's a funny, big role, but yeah, you know, I was like, oh, Benjamin Bratt, I haven't seen him for a yeah. while. Uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, the film is about uh, Gail Hartman, played by Mara Streep. Um, she's not having the greatest marriage. Her husband seems to be a pretty straight. Uh, architect guy, yeah, and uh, he never goes on holiday with them, yeah. and that's it's, terrible. It's funny if you need someone to have uh, a job in a film that doesn't matter, it's always architect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
it's not relevant to the plot, make him an architect. Yeah. The kids don't like him. The dog doesn't listen to him. The wife doesn't consider him. And he decides that he's going to stay in Boston. uh, And she's going to go on holiday with her kid uh, down this river. Uh, the name of the kid is ridiculous. Rourke. Oh yeah, Rourke. What name is that? Let's just put some R's together and see what letters. Finish it off with a K. Rourke. It's strong. A good strong K at the end there. None of this Rory okay. nonsense. It just sort of fades off into distance. Rourke. Rourke. It's good. Strong name for um, a strong boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, so they go down to this river. And uh, at the river, uh, they uh, meet Wade, played by Kevin Bacon. Yes, please. And uh, who seems very charming and very lovely and very generous. He gives uh, the kid his hat. <laughs> uh, and then John C. Riley, uh, who seems like a thug. <laughs> so, you know, you already know there's something going on yeah. because, you know, Kevin Bacon is all lovely, but John C. Riley not really. And um, the kid has is, trusts people way too much and gives him way too much information, saying him, his mum was a, uh, a guide on the river. She knows the river really well. And then, you know, there's a flirtation mo- flirtatious moment between Kevin Bacon and Meryl Streep. Ooh. God, it's two sexy beasts, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. They're, like, Kevin Bacon is so... Mm. Mm. and Meryl Streep as well is like oh uh, yeah and so um, then the dad arrives because he's a hero you know <laughs> he arrives five minutes later it's like guy never mind um, and then they go down the river and we find out pretty quickly that Kevin Bacon is not as uh, nice as uh, he should be he could be takes them to ransom and because he's a he robbed a cattle something cattle ranch cattle auction a cattle a cattle auction yeah. and um he takes him to ransom because he needs to get down the river but down the river it gets bad it's impossible she only did it once how she, can she do it again dun 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 and that's the film <laughs> um <laughs> so um it's a fun film I give you that. It's really fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, you know, Meryl Streep is incredible in anything she does. Kevin Bacon is amazing. You know, the actors make the film because it's basically people just going down a river. Oh yeah. Um, and um, and lots of like paddling around and like things going and shouting and um, um, it would have been perfect if it had been ninety minutes. Right. Like, just 90 minutes long, you know? Because sometimes it's just like, oh, after a while, I did get a little bit lost or bored because, like, it was fun, but there's a moment where she tries to get away from them and then she fails, but it just, you know, if you paddle somebody in the face, it's going to be, they're going to be concussed for a while, and then, but yeah, the, they do have a they do like have a bit invincible. of a thing of just getting straight back up after these uh, serious injuries. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like if you could just cut that, and it's just just like it was just a little bit too long for me. Uh, Fair. But it's a fun film to watch. Um, there's some like interesting things that I didn't even notice until I read the trivia. Like you said, a bit like um, those plot holes, like in Jurassic Park, that. 
you only like notice after you watch like the film 10 times or if you read the trivia you know they say oh you can't get to this to the end of the river without going down the river but the husband magically man- manages to do that he just runs straight past them and he runs straight past them and I hadn't even thought about it and then I was reading the trivia it's like oh yeah <laughs> and Josh talked about it as well so it is an entertaining film classic 90s film um, it was enjoyable it was just a little bit too long it was just too much of like oh I'm gonna try and escape oh no I'm back on it I'm gonna try escape again oh I'm back on it it was just yeah. I love by the way that he, he runs ahead of them doesn't he and gets that point and he spends yeah. a long time setting up something and then when it sh- when yeah. it reveals what it is that he's set up it's so pathetic yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just so funny yeah absolutely <laughs> it's ridiculous there's some really real ridiculous moments yeah um that's a nine that's 90s thrillers though they had they are they were ridiculous yeah Yeah. but it's a fun movie it's a fun movie to watch it's uh definitely you know i'm I'm glad i watched it it's just really like a river film but yeah no i enjoyed it it was um it was a fun entertaining just a little bit shorter would have been better but you know it's a good film Hmm. summary yes um, how about you well did you did you and you had to watch the way way back so i watched the way way back um a 2013 coming of age comedy drama film uh written and directed by nat faxon and jim rash um oh it was that and it was their directorial debut and it uh stars liam james as duncan and it also features steve carell as his stepfather, Tony Collette as his mother, Alison Janey as a sort of um, irritating lady. <laughs> um, yeah. A few other actors, uh, notably Sam Rockwell, um, and Maya Rudolph is also in there being fantastic. And um, it's basically the story of this boy, Liam, who's 14, he's very introverted. He is, he is a, has a, his mother, Tony Collette, is a single mother, but she's recently started going out with Steve Carell. And Steve Carell mm-hmm. has taken um, Liam and his mum, along with his own daughter, to their summer home for the summer. And uh, the film opens, and you talked about this on the last episode, with Steve Carell asking Liam how he'd rate himself out of ten. Um, mm. And Steve Carell says he's a free and starts telling him how ter- awful he is. And uh, it, is a, it is a horrible and brutal and unpleasant and unnecessary way to speak to a child. Um, yeah. And it sets up immediately Steve Girl's character as just an absolute piece of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he kind of maintains yeah. that throughout the film. And like you said, he yeah. does it incredibly well. Like he's, This movie's yeah. funny, and Steve Girl is one of the funniest people on the planet today, but he's not here to be funny. Yeah. He's here to be really yeah. deeply horrible. And he, he is, and he does it really well. Um, and basically the film broadly is about um, Liam... Not Liam, Liam's the actor. Duncan, uh, looking for an escape from this summer home because it's so horrible. You know, Steve Carell is kind of bullying his mother. There are other people there, friends who are just sort of not very nice people as well. Like there's just it's quite it does it really well where all of the scenes at the summer home with these sort of different families having barbecues together and stuff, mm. all just have this general tone of being kind of unpleasant and not very nice. Yeah. And the kids are kind yeah. of marginalised and not very nice as well and really rude and that kind of the children are very rich people and they're very snobby. And um, it just isn't great. And then he goes off on a bike one day and finds this water park 
he goes in there and uh, oh no he goes to a he goes to a cafe doesn't he and he sees Sam Rockwell playing Pac-Man and they have a kind of an interaction he sees yeah. that Sam Rockwell works at this water park so he goes and finds the water park and he ends up getting a part-time summer job there secretly yeah and then the movie is kind of it's his coming of age growing up maturing a bit mm. finding the people that he likes spending time with and finding himself as a result um it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I think I would say, I don't know if you'd agree, for me, the central scene of the film that really kind of lays down what it's about is the scene just after he started working at the summer camp where Sam Rockwell makes him go and break up the breakdancing kids. Yeah. And that's the point yeah. where, because he the really doesn't want to do it. He's terrified to do it. Yeah. You, as an audience member, are expecting... It's to go the way of the early scenes at the beach house with the children there who are just horrible to him and bully him. And yeah, kind of it's, yeah. it's set, the film has set you up to expect that to be the pe- way people react to him. And he's been told to go and break up this breakdancing and stop them from doing yeah. it. And you're just assuming, well, they're going to be horrible to him. And actually, the scene mm. doesn't play out like that at all. It plays out very differently. And it kind of makes him a minor celebrity in the water park. And it kind of starts yeah. him on his path to finding who he is. And that's that's almost the point where the movie turns and he starts to kind of mm. get a bit happier and get a bit more himself. And mm. um, it ends beautifully. Uh, Sam Rockwell absolutely just steals the film when he's on screen. Mm. He's yeah. perfect. And, um, yeah, I'm really glad I watched it. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for the recommendation. I don't really have many criticisms at all. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, the only yeah. other, the the one thing that was just made me laugh was that uh, Maya Rudolph, who's very good at it, was pregnant while filming it, <laughs> and um, yeah, th- I read on IMDb or something. The trivia said something like, "You can you can sort of tell uh, during the uh, party scene in the beach house," and I was like, "You can't sort of tell. It's the most incredibly clear." thing i've ever seen i was like is she meant to be pregnant is that character why is she she's so pregnant yeah, yeah, in this does, one's yeah there's one in scene, scene in particular it's <laughs> like yeah. why is she suddenly pregnant uh and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it's not just it's not a uh what, what it's not a uh, criticism of the film or of my rudolph obviously but it just made me laugh how massively pregnant she suddenly is in this one scene yeah, I don't know if they filmed it much later, but like you can't really notice in any. Maybe it's the t-shirt she's wearing. Because she... like in most in most scenes, she ha- she's wearing like the water park t-shirt. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's. I think she's wearing a dress in this scene. I think it's the sort of dress that sort of yeah. flows and hangs down, so you can really see. Yeah. Where the uh, yeah, the <laughs> she's is. kind of like. <laughs> but um, yeah. no, good film. Enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, good job. And Steve Carell is uh, oh, he's awful. Oh. He's horrible in it. Yeah, it really is. And you feel so... You just want to... Tony Collette is just such a... Tony Collette is just always amazing. And it's just horrible to see her sort of uh, go through what she goes through in the film. But yeah. Yeah. She's she's amazing. Like, she's she's a great, great actress. Yeah. Actor. She, great actor. She really deserves more of, like, Oscar notices and stuff than she's ever had. Because she's, she's just always turns up and does an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. in Hereditary, one of the best performances of all time. Oh, I really want to watch mm. it. But even the trailer terrifies me. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah. let's see. Great. That was homework. Time to get into our top five. Yeah. Five, four, three, two, 
Top five. Yes, baby. Yeah, boy. So we're doing um, remakes and reboots today. So anything that sort of can be considered a remake of something else or a franchise being rebooted is a broadly fair game, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's an interesting one because so. these are often films that are so maligned. It's, it's very difficult to do a remake well. It's very difficult to do a reboot mm. well. Because you're always going to be compared mm. to what is usually something exceptional that has come before, uh, and you're mm. always going to suffer in comparison to f- something that has become uh, almost mythical in its um, in how p- much people love it. Because that's why these things are remade. So, the times when they get them right and they do it well and they make their own thing that works are the times that we're going to celebrate today. Great. Yeah. So I'm starting yes, so with my number five. Uh, my number five, I think what you just said is perfect. I think this is kind of like when somebody thinks about this film, they think about this film because the cast was great. The direction was fantastic. The chemistry with the cast was really good. And in my opinion, uh, always, um, and is uh, 2001 Ocean's Eleven. Nice. Good choice. Yes. This is the remake of a um, 1960s uh, Rat Pack film, which uh, of the same name. And the cast is amazing. There's George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Don Cheadle, Annie Garcia, Bernie Mac, and Julia Roberts. Ooh. Like, yeah, beautiful. Uh, yeah, and is a heist film. Uh, and uh, it's about uh, Danny Ocean, played by uh, Mr. Fantastic George Clooney, which I haven't seen him in a while. I miss him. Where, where is he? No, he doesn't. He sort of picks and chooses nowadays, doesn't he? Well, he can. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't have to work, I don't think. <laughs> so he wants to do the biggest heist in history, and he... And he wants to uh, target three uh, casinos, the Bellagio, the Mirage and uh, MGM Grand, all owned by Terry Benedict, who is a very uh, scary Andy Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, so he puts together this group of 11 uh, people and uh, it's not going to be easy, but will they make it? Will they not? Who knows? You decide. Mm. Yeah, so it's a fantastic film. It's fun. There's great chemistry between all the character, all the actors and the characters. It works. Um, it's exciting. I, I, I really, I really love this film. Um, I think, I think with the franchise, they did pretty well with all the, you know, those Ocean's Eleven, those Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. They didn't get any better, but they kind of kept up a little bit with the um pace mm. um but yeah i think i think is a is a really good film uh a bit of trivia apparently uh george clooney really wanted uh, julia roberts to be in the film and so he sent her the script with the uh, 20 million dollar check <laughs> wow because that was she she at that time she was like the highest paid actress in hollywood and she was 20 million dollars a film wow i mean for good you know mm-hmm. she's great yeah. And she does well in in uh, in Ocean's Eleven. I mean, Ocean, yeah, Ocean's Eleven is such a perfect movie. It's it's a great 
yeah. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Perfect sort of enjoyable time. Yeah. And Brad Pitt constantly is eating in this film. And when Brad Pitt eats, it's like, yes, baby. Have you seen the original? No, I haven't. Have you? No. no. Like, that's the thing. Like, I didn't, you know, it's one of the films that's kind of like, it's a remake, but it's so iconic. Yeah. That I think, like, people just think about this when you put Ocean's Eleven. But I was wanting to ask you something, because... Ocean's 8 came out, and that's kind of an, a reboot of the Ocean's franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I personally really enjoyed it. Yeah. But I was li- looking at reviews, and it feels like people didn't really like it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I have saw a lot of reviews saying, ah, you know, it doesn't work because they're women, or because it's too feminist, blah, 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 blah. Do, do you, like... I can't speak because I'm a, a woman. But do you... Like, of course, Ocean's Eleven is much better, but Ocean's Eight is not that bad. Um, I really like Ocean's Eight and don't understand the critical yeah. sort of negativity towards it either too much. Okay. Other than the cynical part of me just thinks that everyone's misogynistic. But that's... I mean, that's probably not true. I don't... But I, I don't know what, what, what is true at a certain point. But I think it is true... Since you've told me about IMDb being really misogynistic, I've noticed that if like a film is directed or uh, cast it the, by women, the score is much lower. Yeah, it starts on a lower footing, and it has a lot more to do to convince people. I think if the yeah. film is um, yeah, and particularly I nearly put Ocean's Eight, but he's like, but I prefer. Like, you know, I prefer Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. But I like that kind of heist film. Yeah. And, you know, I considered Ocean's Eight. But I just felt like, how how is it, how has it got bad reviews? It wasn't a bad film. Yeah. It's a fun heist film, which happens to have a group of women. Yeah. Oh. And it's interesting, because there are, like, there are films, I can think of a couple, that, in my opinion, are sort of too... Like, a film like Ocean's Eleven... No, sorry, Ocean's Eight... Stars women, and is about women, and obviously has comments about feminism and and sexism in it. But I don't think it's to the detriment mm. of the film, and I don't think it's. No. And it is possible to do. I've seen a couple of films that I think do it to the detriment of the film. In uh, the 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 remake of Black Christmas, I feel misses the mark by going, making mm. it too much about that sort of politics, and also um yeah the same was true of the reboot of the Craft film. Um, although that had a oh. hundred different problems, I watched. I didn't talk about that in Culture Catch Up because it's completely irredeemably terrible. But like that has big issues with like mm. to do with the politics of the movie. But um, I don't think films like Ocean's Eight they just have they just you know talk because that's sort of well. I mean, I can't comment on it too much, but that's kind of like what the life of that's kind of what. Why? Why shouldn't women be be able to talk about f- feminist issues in films if the films are starring women? And why are why are men so often so thin skinned that they have a negative response to it? Like you don't like. There's more going on in Ocean's Eight than any than like some tiny commentary about yeah. about about sexism. Like, calm yeah. down. I, that's what I thought, but I wanted to ask you because you know I you know you have a better memory than me, and maybe yeah, I didn't. But I, I didn't feel like it was... I thought it was great, Ocean's Age. Yeah, I liked it. And a great cast. Yeah. Like... Definitely. Uh, but whatever. yeah. 
But no, as a remake, Ocean's Eleven is amazing. So a good choice. Yeah, Ocean's Eleven is the remake. But, you know, the rest comes with it as well. Yeah. Although I personally think Ocean's Twelve is terrible, but Ocean's Thirteen is brilliant. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene in Ocean's Twelve where Julie Roberts' character gets into a party by pretending to be Julie Roberts, and it's too much. I can't. <laughs> hand, I can't bear it. It's all gone meta. It's too meta. It's bad. It's um, too meta. Yeah. Because uh, the the plot's not like the great thing about Ocean's Eleven is the plot is really clever and they're so smart. And yeah. Ocean's Twelve is stupid. To get to a point where that's how your that your plan is the fact that your actress looks like an, uh, ah no I can't deal with it. But Ocean's Thirteen <laughs> redeemed it for me. I, I thought Ocean's Thirteen was really fun and yeah. I like Ocean's Eight. Okay, my number five is a film from nineteen seventy-seven, uh, directed by William Friedkin, who has um, denied that it's a remake, but it's widely regarded as a remake of a nineteen fifty-three film, *The Wages of Fear*. Uh, they're both based okay. on a French novel called *Les Salaires de la Pure*. Yeah, have you heard of *Wages of Fear* or *Sorcerer*? No. no. So this film, Sorcerer, is um, William Friedkin's mm. sort of follow-up to The Exorcist. So he did The Exorcist in 1973, uh, became one of the most successful people in the film industry immediately as a result, because The Exorcist is one of the remains one of the biggest films of all time, certainly in, in terms of its influence. Mm-hmm. And uh, he followed it up with this film, Sorcerer, which by its title, what might you imagine it's about? Um, a magician. Yes. Uh, it's actually about four <laughs> men who are hired to transport a two lorries full of nitroglycerin across South America. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why it's called okay. Sorcerer. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things in cinema, is that this movie's called Sorcerer. I, I'm sure there I was is... like, I'm so clever. I know what Sorcerer means. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you would think that that's what it would be about. And, I, and there's probably a reason why yeah. it's called Sorcerer that I'm, I've missed and not, not caught on to. But anyway, it is... Um, yeah, so it's this film about... Um, uh, four men, uh, I believe they're played by Roy Scheider, Bruno Kremer, Francisco Rabal, and Amidou. And um, they are four people who, for various reasons, have found themselves living in this small South American village. And um, mm. they get an opportunity one day to... Uh, an oil company is uh, building an oil well or doing some work that requires uh, explosives. And the only explosives they can get their hands on is nitroglycerin, which has been poorly kept and aged, and it is sweating nitroglycerin. So it's dynamite that is sweating nitroglycerin. If you have a crate of this stuff and kick it, it will explode. Like, it's extremely Mm. unstable. They have two trucks full of it, and Mm. they have to transport it across South America, which, as you can imagine... Nice. not Not the safest task. No. Um, Especially if it's hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the oil company kind of do- holds auditions basically and works out who's most capable of doing this safely, and they pick these four men, um, who are tasked with doing it. And then they have to. Then the film is the film is them driving these trucks across South America. But because it was made in nineteen seventy seven, they've got these trucks and they are driving them across South America, and there are these amazing incredible scenes particularly one scene set and it's the poster of the movie it's because it's so iconic there's this one scene that's set Mm. during a rainstorm and they have to drive these trucks across uh effectively a rope bridge 
and it's one of the tensest and most terrifying... This film's not a horror film, but it's like your heart is in your stomach this entire time, and they actually did it um, for real and drove this truck across this bridge that just looks like it's about to fall into this river that's raging below it, and it's it's amazing, it's incredible. Um, what I love about this film, you know, it's a, it's a film from the 1970s, and it does something that films just don't do today. They don't start transporting the trucks until about an hour into the film. And the first 45 minutes or so of the movie are like four short films just depicting and showing these four men why they have had to mm. flee wherever they're from and have ended up in America. And it's not necessarily directly relevant as to why they are transporting this stuff, but it enriches the characters mm. and you get kind of get to know them and you get to appreciate them and things that happen to them while they're transporting the trucks have more impact because you know them because you've you've come to know them because the film has kind of let you spend that time with them so yeah and that's kind of what i love about it is that the the it 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 has this um real emphasis on character and understanding Mm. these these men and what they're doing and um then these incredible sequences of them driving these trucks and and trying to survive uh, this really kind of harsh, hazardous environment is um, the kind of thing you just don't see anymore because so much of it is just taken to a green screen and filmed in a studio on a soundstage. And I love that this film is just out there for real doing it. And I think they had a mm. hard time uh, and it's great. And mm. it just, and when it came out, everyone hated it. It got terrible reviews. People said, how is this the next film? The guy did The Exorcist, mm. etc. And it's one of those films that in the years since people have looked at it again and gone, oh, it's a masterpiece. We've we've we missed a masterpiece. We forgot that it was a masterpiece, and yeah, it's kind of had a reevaluation and and is now considered a sort of minor classic uh, in its own right. And mm. um, yeah, I love it. So William Friedkin's nineteen seventy seven classic, Sorcerer, is my number five pick. Sounds great. Yeah, it is. Maybe sorcerer comes from like sourcing something. Like he thinks, maybe he thought the source, you know, they have to source this stuff to South America. Maybe, but it's spelt wrong if that's the <laughs> case. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> um But yeah, that's my that's my number five. What's your number four? Oh, my number four. So my number four is uh, a movie that I've got a really big soft spot for. I was really worried when they made the remake <coughs> because I love the originals, but I thought this was a brilliant reboot. It's got the worst reviews ever from Little Boys, and you know who you are, and is uh, Ghostbusters. Okay, nice. <laughs> So it's Ghostbusters, but the 2000, the 2016 Ghostbusters with Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, uh, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, uh, a fantastic, all those women are fantastic, but a really surprising Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. I loved him in this film. So I loved Ghostbusters and I was skeptical, I wasn't a skeptical, but I, I didn't, I didn't think Ghostbusters needed a reboot because it was such a good film. Well, there were such, the two good, the films were both amazing. Uh, but you know, it's always nice to see a reboot with a great funny cast and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's about um, paranormal researchers Abby Yates and uh, physicist Erin Gilbert trying to prove that a uh, ghost still exists and um, 
then some apparitions start coming it are in uh, Manhattan and uh, uh, they uh, go to an engineer uh, and they try to help and then they uh, basically what they need to do is try to defeat these ghosts uh, in Manhattan like Ghostbusters pretty much <laughs> yeah and uh, and um yeah yeah it's just i think is a really fun reboot is uh the the cast is amazing uh the greater what they do it doesn't take it's not too serious as a film uh and i have a really big soft spot for this because i think it's a it's a great film but on imdb <laughs> the big the top review was Stop with all the reboots and sequels. Okay, I can agree with that. Stop with all gender switches. Well, this is not gender switch. It's just a reboot. Why? What is? What is there? Is there a problem that they were girls? Doesn't matter. Stop with magical powers. Stop dragging all famous film in uh, all famous film into it. Stop attending these stupid movies. I and then I didn't like the chicks and hated the manservant even more. Oh, I get it. Oh, that's just. Did you get toxic. it now? Not a fan. Not yeah, a fan of because that. Because Chris Hemsworth is a manservant, uh, and and all the reviews on IMDb are like two, one, blah. It's like what? It's just a, it's just a weird thing. But it's a good film. It's funny. They are funny. There's also a cameo. There are cameos from the from the old cast, apart from um. Harold Ramis, who unfortunately passed away in 2014. And I think I watched it with you at the cinema. No. No? No. I Who did I watch it with? don't know, but I saw this for the first time at, uh, when I was in England. For sure. Oh, okay. So I remember. I watched it with my sister then. Yeah. Where was I living? I remember. What? But yeah, I loved it. And I have a real soft spot for it. Because I also love the actresses. And yeah, I think it's a good reboot. Yeah. I think the worst thing about it is the cameos from the original cast members, personally. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like, I almost wish it stood on its own more. Yeah, yeah, I guess the the problem about this film is, like, it's quite, it's different from the old ones, but also it's trying to, is relying a little bit on the old ones. Yeah. I think... The bits where it gets yeah, too think... close to the originals are where it's sort of, when it's being its own thing, yeah. I think it's great. I really, really like it. Yeah, yeah, but I think they wanted to also sell, and that was sold, was sold, and it was a reboot. And maybe if the, if it had been successful, maybe they could have done more. Yeah. I don't know. It's a pity. Um, it's a pity that it didn't so, quite work out. But I'm glad we have that one because it is good. Yeah, and I think it's great. And I, you know, it's just um, it's a shame that it didn't do so well because now they're doing another one, and um. I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm I'm excited to see the new one. I think it'll be interesting. It looks yeah. more like a Stranger Things. Riff I wanted on more of this one. I know. Though. I was when when it finished. I was so excited. I was like, "Oh, there's going to be another one." And <laughs> no. no. Well, sometimes you can't have nice things, unfortunately. No. But a good pick for no. your number four. Yeah. I approve. It's good. What's your number four? My number four is a 1999 film, which is a remake of a 1932 film. Directed by, written directed by Stephen Sommers and starring, oh, I love him. 
is perfect and he's he's on the way back and I couldn't be happier. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. yeah. Uh, along with Rachel Weiss, John Hanna, uh, Kevin Joe O'Connor and Arnold Vosloo. It is, of course, The Mummy. Great choice. Oh. Great choice. Oh, it's so good. Um, I just love an adventure movie. We, what did we talk about a few weeks ago? We talked yeah. about uh, Jungle Cruise, which I enjoyed despite not liking some of the cast members in that film. Um, you know, you've got Indiana Jones, obviously, but for me, one of the all-time great adventure films, particularly in the in the like subgenre of like a romantic adventure film, is 1999's The Mummy. Um, yeah, it's so good. Uh, it's just so, so great. It follows... Um, da, 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 it's like 1926. follows Evelyn, a librarian and Egyptologist who uh, wants to go and find uh, Hamunaptra, uh, the city of the dead in uh, in Egypt, and um, gets to Egypt and ends up hiring the uh, guide of uh, Rick O'Connell, which is a great classic adventurer name, uh, played by Brendan Fraser, uh, who is uh, going to take her across Egypt and help her find Hamanatra. But along the way, they might accidentally... Um, unleash a terrifying curse upon the people of Egypt and have to uh, deal mm. with Imhotep, uh, the the titular mummy. And um, it's just great. It suffers... I watched it a few weeks ago. It suffers in 2021 very slightly from um, <laughs> quite rudimentary CGI, but they <laughs> sort of do practical stuff where they can and the, the CGI, the special effects are passable enough that you can still enjoy the film it doesn't detract from the film too much in my opinion um and brendan like i watched some behind the scenes stuff on youtube of them filming it and there are scenes where brendan fraser is fighting a load of animated skeletons and things and he's when you watch the behind the scenes footage of what he was actually doing he was the Mm. only only physical thing on the set and he was just miming all of these fight sequences and the guy worked like he put himself through serious physical labor to get that movie Mm. done and um, he's just amazing in it. I just really, he's such a charming, heartwarming presence in a movie is Brendan Fraser. And um, I think this is this is just a great role for him. And it's just brilliant. You like The Mummy? Yeah, I love The Mummy. It's great. And there's a scene where Brendan Fraser throws a chair at somebody that is um, one of my favourite moments in cinema. So it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty good film. Um. I've not seen the sequels in quite a while. Uh, I don't think they're quite as good, but yeah, that original film is perfect. And mm. Brendan Fraser, you know, on the set of this film and the other films and all these other movies where he did all these practical stunts, um, really ravaged his body, had serious health problems, had to leave the industry for a long time. And oh, is that why? Yeah, yeah. And um, well, a few other reasons as well. I think personal life matters and stuff. And he kind of disappeared for a long time. And he's on the way back, looking older and not looking quite the same, but looking happy and looking excited mm. to be back. And there's the, there's a very heartwarming video doing the rounds on the internet recently of somebody telling him um, in an interview how happy people are to see him on the way back and he looks very sort of uh, heartwarming. And it's just lovely. And he's a great guy and I'm glad he's on the way back and he's, he's doing yeah. well now and it's wonderful. Yeah, I really like him. I like, like yeah. I remember the first time I saw him was in George of, George of the Jungle. <laughs> yeah. That was such a funny film. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, but even like his, like, do you remember Looney Tunes back in action? Did you see that? 
Yeah. Like even in that yeah. movie, which is kind of a bit derided, he just sort of he just does it. He does yeah. his job. He just is great. He also has one of the all time great guest appearances on TV in his little running scrubs, which is one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen. Mm. Um, do you remember? In Scrubs. Yeah, he's in this. He's in about three or four episodes of Scrubs. He plays um, Doctor Cox's friend, and he's always taking photographs. Ah, oh, it does ring a bell. And then obviously, you know, something very sad happens because it's Scrubs, and sad things mm. always have to happen. It's really upsetting, but um, he's uh, really yeah. good at it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I love Brendan Fraser, and you know, Rachel Weisz and Arnold Vosloo and the rest of the the cast are really good and, and all of that. And uh, yeah, that's my number four. What's your number three? My number three. My number three is kind of a remake, but also it's kind of like a... Yeah, it is a remake because there have been so many films about the same kind of subject and I have seen it in a list of remakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think, uh, yeah. And, you know, there's... there's Like, I was looking for how many films on the same subject um, and there's been a lot. And the subject is Dracula. Okay. And there's been so many Dracula, so it could be called a remake, reboot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But my the one I love and adore, and I've seen a lot of times, is um, a nineteen ninety two Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> Um, this is the film where I fell in love with Gary Oldman, by the way. But yeah, sure. Had a mat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Presumably uh, yeah, not when so not when you Gary... first meet him. Not when you first <laughs> meet him. Not when you see him. Not when he looks like a wrinkly old <laughs> bollock. <laughs> looks like a sock puppet that's gone through the wash too many times. Not then, but when, during the day, when he's a nice guy, uh, when he's got long hair and nice little glasses. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, great cast. It's got Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves. Can you, Reeves? I can. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Richard E. Grant, and there's also Monica Bellucci mm. as one of Dracula's brides. Hello. What a woman. Monica, by the way, side note, Vincent Cassell's and Monica Bellucci's daughter, OMG, like, good genes. <laughs> Check it out. Fair play. <laughs> like, she's beautiful, he's beautiful, bam, they made an incredible human. Oh, yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Those are impressive like, genes. Those are impressive genes. Like they have, <laughs> they should spread them around a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is uh, based on Bram Stoker's uh, no- novel uh, called Dracula, and uh, so this um, barrister Jonathan Hawker, uh, played by. Keanu Reeves um is uh, is in goes to Eastern Europe to meet with Dracula and uh, played by Gary Oldman uh he uh he has it it tells the story how he has become Dracula 
which is by um, when his wife committed suicide, he kind of um, did something bad to a church and drunk blood and whatever. And so it kind of tells the story about how he became Dracula. And um, this solicitor played uh, by Kenny Reeves uh, has this um, has this future wife that looks very similar to uh, Count Dr- well, to Dracula's um, wife who has died and she lives in London. So he uh, imprisons Kianyu and um, he heads to London um, to try and, uh, you know, get with Mina, who looks exactly like his uh, wife who has committed suicide. Mm. And... Um, uh, in Britain, he starts a reign of uh, seduction and terror, and uh, he um, kind of uh, drains Mina's best friend. And um, Kianyu, in the meantime, is still in Transylvania and trying to... Um, well, he's imprisoned, but then he manages to escape Mina goes to Transylvania to marry Keanu, then they go back to London. Well, basically, it's the story of Dracula. Yeah. I love this film. It's... I don't know. I have... There's this something about it that is... Uh, makes Dracula more acceptable as... Um, more humane, maybe more of a human mm. you kind of feel bad for him uh, the decisions that he makes he's dracula because he was suffering um you kind of stop liking the good guys how you're supposed to uh, but you kind of root for the bad guy um uh, the bad guy which is dracula and um, duh duh and duh. i don't know it's a, it's, it's a about. it's a very i i love this film is uh, and i love gary oldman in it and uh, I think is that it's it's not cheesy. It's not. It's just a, just a good film. It's well made. Uh, it doesn't try to be uh, too theatrical or make Dracula look. Yeah, of course. Sometimes Dracula looks um, like a like a bollock, but um, is it just seems more like. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem exaggerated. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Have you nice. seen it? I saw it once a very, very long time ago and I was very young and I don't remember anything. Hmm. Yeah. But I remember being a fan of it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, man. Uh, good choice. Thank you. Thank you. What's your number three? Uh, my number... F- my number three is, um, I guess, falls more into. I mean, it's, it's an ad, it's an adaptation of a book that's been adapted in the past. Mm. So it's sort of a remake, but it's not officially a remake of the previous adaptations. It's more officially a reboot of a franchise. Mm. Um, it is uh, a two thousand six spy film. It is directed by Martin Campbell, and it stars. Daniel Craig in the role ah. of 007, James Bond. It is Casino Royale. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, in, in the 90s, Pierce Brosnan 
took on the Bond franchise and uh, kind of um, started really well and then it ended up being driven into its absolute nadir with Die Another Day. Uh, and it was very much, one after that movie came out and sort of bombed, the Bourne movies came out and people sort of started to realise that the spy genre, the action genre was changing, it was becoming more serious, more gritty, mm. that's what people wanted. It was happening with the Batman films, you know, it wasn't, yeah. people didn't want, like quipping and ladies and all those things anymore. They wanted uh, fights where the camera sort of goes right up in the fight and um, they wanted um, people to bleed and look like they were having a difficult time and all of these things. Hmm. So they had to do a kind of a full-on reset and they decided to take it all the way back to the beginning, show how James Bond became a double O agent and um, sort of try and make it uh, gritty and Mm. do something new with it. And they hired Daniel Craig, a relative unknown, um, causing unbelievable controversy, the idea that a blonde (gasps) man could be James Bond. What? Unbelievable. Um, He's incredible, obviously. We don't even need to talk about it. I love Daniel Craig. He's so good as James Bond. Um, They got Martin Campbell in to direct it. Kind of a wild decision, because Martin Campbell made Goldeneye, the first Pierce Brosnan movie. Mm. So... I mean, he kind of brought Bond back with Goldeneye, but like to trust him with what they wanted to be their gritty reboot after he's kind of made what is the opposite of that in the past is uh, was a big choice, but mm. it worked because it's it's great. Um, and this film was so. I mean, in the UK, I've never seen anything like it when this film came out. The mm. queues to get into the cinema when I went to see this movie, I've never seen any. The closest that I've come is when Endgame came out, but in fact. I saw Endgame in the same exact cinema as Casino Royale and the queues for Casino Royale were bigger and longer mm. um, than they were for Endgame. It, it was crazy how uh, hyped people were for this film. Um, obviously, it stars Daniel Craig, but equally, Eva Green destroys it as a deconstruction of the Bond girl. Um, Mass Mickelson, an all-time perfect villain as Le mm. Chiffre. Uh, Jeffrey Reich turns up as his um, Felix Leiter his uh, American kind of attachment. Judy Dench, the smartest decision they made was keeping Judy Dench as M, being mm. her being one of almost the only thing from the Pierce Brosnan era that made it across to the to the Daniel Craig area and it was the right move because she's just the best. And um it's just it's just such a good film. Mm. I adore this movie. It's it's it was the first time that a Bond and I love all the old Bond films, but Casino R was the first time that a Bond film felt like an actual legitimate movie it was like a genuine well-crafted piece of entertainment that didn't just sort of devolve into cars spinning and all of these other things that bond movies do it it told a story it took its time it it set itself up it gave itself an atmosphere and a tone and it just worked and i love it and i love it and and daniel craig is great and he's not all of his movies since in fact the very next film quantum of solace was a sort of victim of the writer's strike that happened a couple of years later Mm. and ended up being a bit of a shambles which is unfortunate but um yeah i i I think casino royale is uh is great um and it's sort of the the plot broadly is he's sort of attempt to um find out about this kind of um man le chiffre who is uh like the accountant for terrorists basically mm. and um starts to uncover uh his uh organization which leads him to the the story in quantum of solace and on to specter and all of those things and uh no time to die daniel craig's last bond film is crazy because i was young like this came out in 2006 mm. and daniel craig is still bond 
2021, over, what, 15 years later. How many? Daniel Craig is... Uh, not many over that span. He's made. They made it. Uh, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and now No Time to Die. So he's he's managed five films in fifteen years, which is that's not bad. Not that speedy. Well, I f- I feel like Pierce Brosnan managed significantly more. Yeah, no, but... no, not Pierce Brosnan. He didn't. Uh, Roger Moore, I mean. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. Mm. But they're getting I, bigger I wish and that... better. The the more production isn't there like. Yeah, but there was, especially with this latest one, No Time to Die, there was a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff that slowed it all down, mm. where it wasn't about making the film better, it was about, like, getting through a load of political nonsense. But anyway, mm. it doesn't matter. No Time to Die will be out soon, I can't wait to see that, but uh, Casino Royale was where it started, and it is brilliant. Have you seen it? No. No. Uh, which one did I watch with you? Um. Uh. Spectre. Spectre. Like one of the best, like kind of opening shots in cinematograph in, in Oh yeah, I mean this film history. opens with um, well it doesn't open of it, but this film early on has a uh, a parkour sequence where they oh. actually hired the guy who invented parkour, nice. and James Bond chases him across a building site, and it's it's yeah. one of the best best action scenes ever filmed. It's so so good because it's like it kind of really demonstrates how unrefined Bond is early on. Like there's this bit where they because they're going for a building site. Mm. there's a bit where this guy who's doing all this parkour he kind of there's like a dry wall and then there's a small gap at the top between that and the roof and this guy kind of hops up and flips through this uh gap and then james bond just like barrels through the dry mm. through the dry wall and smashes through it and comes after him and it just it, it, it does a lot of character building through action which is um brilliant and really well done so yeah love it what's your number two uh great choice uh, my number two is uh, it's a remake uh, of uh, what well, is not a what well, it's it's a live action remake of a cartoon. Nice. Yeah, and it's two thousand and seventeen, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So uh, it's um, got a great cast: Emma Watson. Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Josh Gad, Kevin Klein, uh, where is he? Ian McKellen, Ewan McGregor, Emma Thompson, more and more, etc. Stanley Tucci, beautiful. Uh, it's just a live action version of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, and yeah, we all know the story. This yeah. beast is a beast because he can't love anyone. Uh, but then Bell breaks his. Uh, Bell makes him love her again. Uh, you know this. Yeah. Um. I loved this film. It's so good. I think it's such a good uh, readaptation of the cartoon. I think there've been a lot of misses. Uh, Aladdin. Which I enjoyed, but I wasn't a fan of the cartoon in the first place. So for me, it was okay because I wasn't a fan. But I know the people that were like real big Aladdin fans. They did not like the live action. Uh, The Lion King. The Jungle Book was good, though. I like the Jungle Book, actually. Yeah, the Jungle Book was decent. It wasn't too bad. Uh, Yeah, the Lion King I really, really didn't care for. I think they've done, they've remade this film perfectly. Uh, it had the beauty of it, the the songs, the feel. It's just, 
it was so well made and you 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 we weren't well when i was watching i wasn't trying to compare how it was different from uh the the cartoon version i was just enjoying seeing the live action version of the cartoon and i i just thought this film was magical and uh, brought to life uh this film that i loved as a kid and i love this film as an adult now and um you know if i watch beauty of the beast i'll probably watch the live action more than the the cartoon again just because it was just is it felt like the first time i went to disneyland i was yeah. an adult and i never i never went as a child and when i saw the castle i felt really emotional because that was my childhood but in you know in 3d and i could see it and it's anything that i would have could possibly could have expected from the the disney castle um real life and i felt really emotional and in a way watching beauty and the beast kind of they put to life my childhood and how much i loved that cartoon and um you know casting emma watson as bell was just perfect and um the way they did all the um the inanimate objects uh, being alive it could have been it could have not worked but it worked really really yeah. well and it was just beautiful and i love this film yeah yeah it's really i like it yeah and the casting was great like um luke evans as gaston was perfect like if gaston was a real human is luke evans <laughs> just perfect yeah yeah i would agree with that yeah He's good casting. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really really good film and a really good uh, remake reboot reinvention. I don't know, but yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Tell us all this time. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I really like it, and especially Emma Watson. I think kind of makes it work. She's so so mm. just. She's just sort of a perfect actor. Yeah. Well, I read some trivia that apparently Ryan Gosling was supposed to be the Beast instead of Dan Stevens. Oh, really? And but he turned it down because he was doing La La Land. Right. And uh, Emma Watson turned La La Land down to do Beauty and the Beast. Oh, and really? That's just some trivia that I saw. Uh, it's amazing how like I guess it's when people turn something down it's like thank god because you know I don't think you would have worked in La La Land and I don't think Ryan Gosling would have worked as the Beast yeah 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 and I guess for for Ryan Gosling the, the La La Land role is bigger than the role of the Beast in yeah. Beauty and the Beast so yeah. I can see but whereas yeah and Emma Watson yeah. would, was starring in Beauty and the Beast anyway yeah. yeah that makes sense that they would have but Beauty and the Beast directions. is so much better than La La Land yeah it is. I like it a lot. Yeah. Dan, I, and I really, really like Dan Stevens, so I'm glad that he yeah. sort of plays the beast. Good choice for Shanky. number two. You're welcome. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is a 1986 film um, directed by David Cronenberg. A remake <laughs> of the 1984 1980- 1984 1958 film of the same name 
It stars Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, and it is oh. The Fly. It was in every list. Oh, every, was it? And I was like, George is definitely going to put this film, because you talked <laughs> about it. I was like, yeah, if he doesn't, that'd be crazy. But yeah, The yeah. Fly. The Fly. I adore this movie. I've talked, I've talked before on the podcast about it, so I won't go to too mm. long about it, but... Um, it's the story of um, Seth Brundle, played by um, Jeff Goldblum, who's a scientist. He believes that he is going to change the world and revolutionise uh, the transport industry with his invention of teleportation pods. Um, the film opens very quickly with him meeting Gina Davis's character, um, Veronica Quaife, who um, is a journalist who he invites back to his laboratory to show off his um, invention. Um, and they end up falling in love, and the movie's kind of a beautiful love story uh. alongside this kind of uh, horrific horror film. And um, he... Um, yeah, he kind of makes his teleportation pod work. He manages to transport uh, things across the room. He eventually tests it on himself. Unfortunately, a fly gets into the pod with him, and the computer is... Um, instead of just transporting them both separately, the computer splices their DNA together and creates a new organism, Brundlefly. And uh, Seth Brundle begins to find himself changing and experiencing um, difficult uh, changes <laughs> in his body. Um, it's a perfect film. Jeff Goldblum is perfect in this movie. Gina Davis is, is, is astonishing. Their love story is so good and so real because they, I mean, they fell in love in real life and um, you can kind of see why it just works. Um, the special effects, the body horror sequences are astonishing. And um, it's just one of those, it's one of those rare horror films that has a heart to it and really gets to you. I mean, this movie, the end of this movie, every time it really, really upsets me. It's such a beautiful and heart-wrenching um moment at the end of this film the way it all finishes and it um and it all works because of jeff goldblum the film follows him pretty much the entire time he's almost always on camera and the way he performs and the way he acts out these changes as, as his body sort of starts to um kind of show the fly dna mm. is um is terrifying but also wonderful and brilliant and beautiful and i love it so yeah um the fly. The fly Zzz. sounds great. Zzz. Zzz. Yeah, oh, it is. It's the it's the absolute best. I love it. I love the fly. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my number two. Watch it if you haven't watched it. Oh, like I mean, the, the I just I don't say this about. Well, I should probably say about too many films, but it's a perfect film. <laughs> it is perfect. So watch it. Cool. Yeah. What's your number one? What's your number one? My your, number your favorite one. Favorite remake. Is a film that I've spoken about in the podcast before. Is a film that I watched in the past year. So it's a 2020 film. And it's an adap adaptation from a 1996 film, which was an adaptation from a book written by Jane Austen. And the film is Emma. Emma! Emma! Yes. Nice. So my number one is Emma, the two thousand, the twenty twenty Emma, not the nineteen ninety six Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, so Emma, starring my fave Anya Taylor Joy, uh, as Emma, and then the film also has Johnny Flynn, Mia Goth, uh, Angus, uh, Imlie, Bill Nye. 
Miranda Hart, Rupert Graves, great cast. And it's a story about Emma. Uh, well, it's a comedy. Uh, and it's a story about Emma, who is uh, a queen bee. She's rich. Uh, everybody wants to be her. And uh, she has no... Um, you know, she's the queen bee of this little town and is uh, a social satire of how, you know, uh, women need to find men and um, she needs, she she's a matchmaker. So she tries to match her friends with other people that maybe wouldn't work. And it's just a romantic comedy and it's lovely. And I think mm. is the best readaptation of the book. I don't think I think the 1996 film completely missed the mark on how Emma is. Emma is not a nice person. Uh, Emma creates chaos. <laughs> um, Emma doesn't really think about other people than herself. And I think this is the perfect film because you kind of want to shake Emma and go stop meddling on other people's lives and you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is incredible in it uh, there's the scene of the blood apparently she learned how to make her nose bleed you told me that the last time I spoke about this film yeah or um, she realised that she could do it on demand rather yeah. than learning to yeah um, which is crazy uh, the yeah. chemistry between the actors is really good um and uh, is the directorial debut of another female director, Ad, uh, Autumn De Wild. So you know, and I think is really well done. Is colorful, is funny, is irritating, and I think it's a great adaptation. And I can't believe it hasn't got bigger rating. And you know, when when uh, Emma, when Gwyneth Paltrow did Emma, it was huge like huge mm. it was everywhere and i can't believe this film is not anywhere <laughs> you know is when it came out i know it was 2020 and it was covid i wish they had waited in a way because yeah. it's so good that it kind of like but it got kind of put under the carpet but i love period dramas i love jane austen and i think if you like jane austen if you like period drama if you like a good adaptation i think this is a great film and i absolutely loved it and that's why it's in there number one and i love nice. anya oh she's great goodness gracious i even watched the witch because of her i put myself through another robert eggers give me more anya give me more <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's, it's fair i'm obsessed though she's so great and i don't think she believes it like i don't think she thinks that of herself no, she doesn't see it, but I'm sure that I mean she's get she just gets constant adoration from everything she does. I'm sure yeah. she'll uh, realize it eventually. And sometimes when people realize it, it kind of changes them for the worse. So maybe uh, you know, I don't know. She should realize it mm. because she shouldn't be anxious about her performances because they're always brilliant. But so, maybe sometimes when you're anxious about your performances, maybe it'll make you be even better, and that's why she's so good in everything. Because I don't think she thinks she's that great. Yeah, but it's like that thing. It's like how like Alfred Hitchcock used to bully his the women in his films to get good performances out of them. But in twenty twenty one, that's not okay. <laughs> no one's bullying Annie Taylor Joy. But no, I just no, mean, she's bullying herself you know. by not believe, like by not thinking that she's as great as she is. Which you know. Yeah. 
believe in yourself. Well, she probably does. Just, she doesn't need just you to be okay. Tell her. Just be okay, Anya. That's all I'm saying. Just be fine. You know, just be come okay. Come and have a cup of tea. As long as you, as long as you're happy, then I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah have a cup of tea. I love you. Um, <laughs> I wonder if she does has that from loads of people. They see her and it's like, I love you. I just, I love you. I don't. Yeah, think, I bet I don't, it's overwhelming. I, I don't know what I would do if I saw her. I would just panic and do nothing, <laughs> but in, internally have a meltdown. Yeah, I'd probably I turn do. away and go, oh, no, I don't know what to say. Be yeah. my friend. <laughs> yeah. Be my friend. Right. Yeah. That's a great number one pick, Emma. Well, have I haven't seen it? seen it, but it, oh, no, okay. not yet. But it's, uh, it's um, you know, on your tail, John. So it's cool. Uh, my number one pick is um, not a remake. It's more of a reboot Ooh. of a franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to Casino Royale, I suppose. Um, it's a 2018 film. Uh, it was directed by Go- David Gordon Green and written by David Gordon Green, Jeff Radley and Danny McBride. And it stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle, amongst other actors. And it is the 2018 reboot of Halloween. Oh, Mm. Awesome. Simply called Halloween. <laughs> okay. Um, the Halloween franchise is one of those kind of complex uh, han- franchises in horror where it's got all these false starts and different continuities and um, it just became this sort of mess. So in 2018, they decided to make a film that was just a sequel to the original film, sort of rebooting the franchise, ignoring all the other sequels. Um, mm. So in a way, you could call it a remake of Halloween Two, I don't know, but it's a sort. It's, it it fits in. I saw it on a list of remakes and reboots, mm. and it, it is a reboot. So it sort of picks up the story. Um, all these years later, after the nineteen seventy eight events, um, where Michael Myers attempted to murder his sister Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Michael has spent the intervening years in an institution for the criminally insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laurie Strode has spent the intervening years um, traumatised by her experiences and terrified that Michael will escape and come to find her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in this movie, those exact events play out. And mm-hmm. um, it is a, it is kind of... A, a, it's a slasher movie, but it's just done for me. It, some people don't like this film, but I really just love this movie. Uh, I think that they made Michael Myers scary again. Mm-hmm. His mask is perfect. Jamie Lee Curtis is just one of the all-time greats and she's so, so good in this film. She just, she knows exactly how to play this character, exactly Mm. where she would be all these years later um, and how traumatised she would be and um, they turn into a family thing. Her daughter and her granddaughter are both in the movie and um, it's it's great and there's a sequel coming out in October that I can't wait for called Halloween Kills and then next year a final film will be released called Halloween Ends mm-hmm. and I enjoyed this movie so much that I just can't wait to see where they take it and John Carpenter the director of the original film returned to do the soundtrack to this movie and the soundtrack is just perfect and uh, he's released some looks at the soundtrack for the next film and it just he's just still on the t- on top of his game I love John Carpenter and um this is just such a Good follow up to his movie, and I love it. So yeah, will Jamie Lee Curtis Curtis come back? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in the next one. Yeah, I don't know if she'll be in the third one. We'll have to okay. see this one, I guess, to find cool. out. But yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis is returning as Laurie Strode. Although I think the focus is going to be on her daughter and granddaughter in the next film. Nice. 
So yeah, that's my number one film. Do you want to go through your top five again? Absolutely. So number five, Ocean's Eleven. Number four, Ghostbusters. Number three, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Number two, Beauty and the Beast. And number one, Emma. Nice list, good picks. My top five was number five, Sorcerer. Number four, The Mummy. Number three, Casino Royale. Number two, The Fly. And number one, Halloween. Do you have any honourable mentions? Uh, yes. Uh, so some of my honourable mentions are films that I have spoken about before. Uh, so True Grit, Mad Max Fury Road, Little Women, True Lies, The Jackal, The Mummy, Vanilla Sky, The Producers, and Ocean's Eight. Nice. Uh, my honorable mentions are um the fugitive mm-hmm. uh suspiria invasion of the body snatchers oh. uh the dawn of the dead remake Zack snyder's only good film yeah uh evil dead it uh let me in the ring um a star is born which i really enjoyed I've never seen uh, the that, thing, actually. of course, the remake of the Blob, Ocean's Eleven, which you had in your list, um, the Friday the Thirteenth remake's really good. Flubber is really good. Flubber, okay, never Flubber. seen it. Oh, it's a great Robin Williams movie. Um, Beauty and the Beast, which you had in your list. The Birdcage is a film I really like. Oh, That's yeah. a remake. Uh, Cape Fear, of course, the Robert De Niro one. Um, the recent Child's Play remake was actually surprisingly really good. And um, yeah, that's it. That's those are my honourable mentions. Nice. So yeah, so we need to set homework, obviously, as we always do. Yes. So of yep. the films that uh, I've of my list, the films you have been seen are what is well, Emma and Dracula, but it's up to you. Uh, I think uh, I think you might enjoy Emma. Yeah. Cool. I will watch Emma. Good stuff, and of my list, you haven't seen Sorcerer, <laughs> the uh, no. nineteen seventy-seven. What's why are you laughing? I don't know. It just sounded wild, like a wild film. Um. Oh, it is. Uh, you haven't seen Casino Royale. No. You haven't seen The Fly, and no. you haven't seen Halloween. Um. I think. Sorcerer. Okay. Because I've made you watch too many horror movies recently. <laughs> so, Sorcerer. Okay, Sorcerer. Which is not a horror movie, to be clear. Okay. Even though it sounds like yeah. a horror movie. Fantastic. Well, it's intense. Uh, and it's a little bit long. But it's long in that way that movies in the 70s were long, where it's for a good reason. Because uh, it's filled with depth. Okay. Full of depth, longness. Ah, thank you, G. Can't wait. So, do you have any recommendations from this week's uh, Culture Catch-Up? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, Questlove's film. Mm, Amazing, amazing, amazing. That's my recommendation for the week. 
good, I'm going to recommend uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman, which also could be in a list of fantastic reboots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the Killers album Pressure Machine, which nice. is a beautiful album, should be listened to. Um, and that does us for today. Please do check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about in Culture Catch-Up. Please also check out the show notes for links to all of our social media pages. In particular, we're very active on Instagram. Um, so go there to check out uh, Alex's incredible artwork. She posts snippets of episodes sometimes. She, um, I sometimes post um, short reviews that I do on Letterboxd uh, for different films I've been watching. Thank you. And... Um, yeah, so check us out on Instagram, check us out in other places, uh, email us, get in touch with us, let us know that you're out there listening, we'd really appreciate uh, any feedback, and uh, join us next time for a Top 5 Zombie Movies, Ooh. that will be our next episode, please join us for that, can't wait to share that with you, and um, yeah, have an incredible uh, week, love you very much. Thank you! Thank you. Bye. bye! Bye, 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 bye.